welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. So, Gareth, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, this is your idea, Chris. We were talking about tools and techniques that both of us have used for exploring how teams work, how leadership sort of can be explored using games. Yeah, so absolutely. We're getting very excited about marshmallows last time I spoke to you. Well, yes, and I we, we, we can't talk about marshmallows too early. We have to build a bit of narrative tension. But you're right. So this episode is is called Do You Want to Play a Game? And for those of you of a certain vintage, it's a line from War Games, which I thought was, was a, an amusing plow word. Apparently, though, you're a little bit younger than me, Gareth. Where, where, yeah. What's your line from, Do You Want to Play a Game? So, so for me, the line, Do You Want to Play a Game, is quite an insidious line from the Saw series of movies, a series of horror movies about a evil psychopath who builds contraptions and puzzles that people have to solve in order not to die in horrific ways. Well, I tell you what, let's stick with the War Games one, which is actually equally bad now I think about it. It is how an artificial intelligence takes over and decides to start thermonuclear war. But anyway, enough of those things. Going back to your point, we spend lots of our time being very theoretical and sort of notionally scratching our chins about some of these ideas and concepts. What I wanted to do today was actually to turn it very much into something very real that actually anyone listening to can actually go and do. And I wanted to talk about a, a one particular thing that I've been doing with teams over a number of years. Um, those of you who might know it, it's called the Marshmallow Game, but we'll talk about it a little bit later. And the really great thing about this is it will cost you about 30 quid to set up if you've got a bunch of people you want to run this with. It takes about an hour to set it up and it is both fun and educational. So I think the, probably the best way to do this is tell a story about one of my favorite ever times that I ran this game with a team. So I was working with a new development team that we'd started working with who are based in India on a software project. We were building one of our Adobe products, a thing called Adobe InDesign. And it was one of our first visits. We wanted to, first of all, build relationships. There we were a blistering heat of New Delhi. And this was a good bunch of guys. They really wanted to engage us and they really wanted to work with us. But we had what we suspected was a little bit of a problem. And this is going to sound like a ridiculous problem. The team really were engaged in what we were doing and they wanted to help us almost too much. I know how silly that sounds, but what I mean by that was the answer to everything was yes. Even when we suspected the answer shouldn't be yes. And here was the real nub of things. We were very closely tied to development cycles and more importantly, release cycles. So on X date, we had to stop and we had to ship whatever we had to, we'd built. And so we were really a little bit nervous that it was kind of an all or nothing situation the teams were doing. The answer was, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. And we didn't see a lot of evidence that we were making progress along the way. So part of the point we wanted to make with the team was, actually, there's a way we should be doing this, an iterative approach to be doing this. Rather than lecture or preach or enter into some philosophical conversation, we decided to play a game. At our very high level, the principle is this. The game is to get teams of four to build a tower as tall as you can within a specific period of time. Super simple, super easy. Everyone was up for this. And by the way, this was a, a, a very engaged and competitive audience who was having fun. I think if I remember... We offered bars of dairy milk chocolates to the winning team. And so everyone, everyone thought this was a good thing. Fast forward to the end of this game. And oh, it, it was like we'd won the World Cup. In fact, for an Indian team, it was like we'd won the Cricket World Cup. A room full of cheering developers who were laughing and having fantastic fun. So at one level, tick. Here's the really interesting thing. Remember, 
the whole point of this was to build the tallest tower you can build. 75% of the teams had nothing. They had no towers reaching above zero inches or centimeters off the ground. All that was left for many of those teams, I think it was about five or six teams, was bits of material for the game strewn on the floor, utter failure. And 25% did have something and everyone was cheering and excited. But honestly, we everyone loved it. It was a great way for us to all come together as a team. That was all good. But this was where the magic happened. And so we we often talk about games and people say, well, that was a bit trivial or that, you know, great. We did often this game, by the way, is used as an icebreaker. But for us, what happened next was the magic. We had a conversation and I don't think anyone was expecting this. So we played the game. We cheered. We handed out uh, chocolate. We sat down and said, just before you go, guys, let's talk about this, because actually I think this is a bit more relevant than we might have imagined. And what we said was, we want you guys to think about this game as if it was software development. We all clapped and cheered and there were these disasters where 75% of you got nothing. Is that a good outcome in the world of software development? And all of a sudden, these guys who had viscerally had these feelings where, well, hey, I'm one of the 75% where I got nothing but wasn't that fun, went, oh, actually, Chris, I... I can connect with you in a way that maybe I wouldn't have done if you'd have said, what if we got nothing at the end of our development? So the whole point was for software development, you can't end with nothing. Nothing is very, very, very bad. We can't do all or nothing. And what that would mean in our world from a business perspective, if there was no software, because it all went wrong at the last minute, we'd had this high stakes activity and at the last minute, we failed. The software didn't work. It didn't work the way we'd expected. No new features, no release, no upgrades, no money. So we sat down and talked about it. And while it was fun, all of a sudden now, every engineer could, could attach these emotions they'd had with that concept. And I'm probably going to say something a bit too grand. At that moment, that team learned more about the principles of agile development we've talked about it's please see previous episode which is all about inspect and adapt inspect and adapt and, and frankly iteration they learned more about that in that moment when in front of them these towers were strewn on the floor than any agile course where you say well the principle is this it was incredibly valuable because we'd created this common experience amongst ourselves, which frankly, everyone enjoyed. And it wasn't about you failed and we won. So I, I think I have a, a sense of what the what the game that you're going to explain is, and I've done something similar. And I, I suppose my first question is, the, the outcome of learning about Agile as opposed to winning, was that a deliberate aim that you had going into it? Absolutely. We we could see in their eyes the and this goes back to the sort of the, the team almost wanted to help us too much. It was this sense of we're all in, we're heads down and it will be victory or death. And our yeah. point was, thank you, but we don't want death. <laughs> Very well thought out before we went into it. It's interesting because I've done I've done several away days workshops and uh, we'll talk about a game i run you know later on and the, the absolute deliberate reasons behind it but i've done several of these things run by other people and like you say that they're, they're often done as icebreakers and sometimes they're done as team building exercises yeah absolutely and then there's no real structure beyond the here's the rules of the game and here's the materials go and what you end up with more often than not people like you say find it quite enjoyable it's not day-to-day -day work you're out of the office environment or you're in a hotel somewhere or wherever this event is being held and people are enjoying themselves but after half an hour of messing about there's no follow-up no... i was about to say they quickly move on they quickly and move go on. what's the next thing yeah yeah and, and what you end up with is this kind of sense of uh, well yes i now know the other people slightly better and i know you know the people I'm working with names, but only the four people I was on a table with. It then focuses around the well done to team A because they built the biggest tower. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, right, let's move on. Let's do just by PowerPoint for the rest of the day. Whereas I've done events, we can talk about some of the different games and some of the different 
challenges that we've both experienced uh, in a bit, where the focus has very much been either clear from the beginning or there's been a follow-on session a bit like you had where you've then delved into what happened you then analyzed the kind of process that people or teams went through and there's lots of value in that both the game that you're talking about and the game i'm going to talk about actually are very very simple the the value in running these events is how you run them not what you do I think that's extraordinarily well said. And there's there's layers of value. Look, if someone has said to you, we've got an hour at the beginning of the day, can you fill it? Go run this game. People who enjoy themselves, they'll have fun. They'll tell stories. You know, it, it fits the bill. To your point, the, the, the value then comes and you can do this and then have a set of structured, let's talk about the lessons and let's delve into them a bit more. Well, look, let's, let's go in and, and talk about this a bit more because I did promise at the beginning, this was all about, will teach you or at least give you the tools to go play this game. So to give credit where credit is due, a gentleman by the name of Peter Skillman introduced this. There's also a fabulous TED talk on this and there's a six minute version and there's the 15 minute version, which I highly recommend to everyone. And we'll put this on Substack for you to go find a guy called Tom. And I'm going to say Wujek, Wujek. I'm sure I've mispronounced his name, but Google Marshmallow Challenge on TED and you'll find it. It is, as I say, super simple. Here are the rules for the game in its sort of highest level. You get teams of four. Um, I'm sure you can bend these rules a little bit, but teams of four it was designed for. And the explicit goal of the game is in a 20-minute period is to create the tallest freestanding structure you can using 20 sticks of uncooked spaghetti, one yard of tape, yard being the American term, which I had to calculate is 90 centimeters, one yard of string. Obviously, these are mechanisms by which you can connect the bits of spaghetti together. And then here's the joyous bit at the end, because there's a few stings in the tail in this game. The final thing is one marshmallow. And the reason why the marshmallow is important is because the marshmallow has to be at the top. If the marshmallow is not at the top, doesn't matter how tall your structure is, you do not win. And so you you set this up, you get people here and you say, this is the goal, tallest freestanding instructor, marshmallow at the top, 20 minutes, go. And the first thing is everyone thinks, oh, this is a game about collaboration. So everyone's on their best behavior and they start to collaborate. In, in the TED talk, he talks really eloquently about this. There's a very common structure you see most people go into. You orient yourself around the problem, you come up with a plan and then you build. And then at the very last minute, in the last 30 seconds, someone shouts, put the marshmallow on the top. I am hoping there's a few people who haven't played this game and are ahead of us and are thinking, that's really interesting you say that, Chris, because spaghetti, it's kind of flimsy. It sort of bends and snaps quite easily. So how heavy the marshmallow is and of course when you're playing the game nobody thinks how heavy a marshmallow is of course marshmallows are not heavy at all actually it turns out when you compare the weight of a marshmallow to the spaghetti the you're using spaghetti. which we all know the breaking strain obviously it turns out that this is a really important factor and so yeah. what happens is Everyone goes away, makes these amazing structures, which are very, very common, these, these structures. They look very similar. I've seen them multiple times. They're all a bit wobbly because they want to go tall. They put the marshmallow on the top and it all collapses and they get nothing. Yeah. Now you can start to connect to the whole principle here because remember I said what most people do is orient themselves. They come up with a brilliant plan and then it is all or nothing because they're going to spend the next 15 minutes building the tallest, most amazing thing. And it all goes wrong at the end. I know that sounds devilishly simple. And you might even say who would be stupid enough not to realize that a marshmallow has a weight and causes 75% of the towers to collapse. Actually, it's really common because everyone gets caught up. The room gets excited. We're all competitive. I have to beat them. Look at how big theirs is. It is magical to, be to behold. And by the way, once you've done it once, the joy then becomes watching other people because, and you know, as a, as a facilitator for the game, when you start watching people play this, you can see 
you can see the world unfold over you. You can see the characters in the teams who, I know what we're going to do. We're going to do this. You see the people in the corner going, I wonder if this marshmallow weighs in. All of these things you can see, and it becomes a really great way to understand team dynamics. What's really now interesting is on the TED Talk, they talk about who does well and who does poorly, and then we'll mm. get to the principles. But I don't know. Have you, have you done the marshmallow game? I've done similar exercises where it's just about building towers. And I think the added goal of having to hold the weight of a marshmallow actually changes the whole dynamic because Massively. when I've done the, you know, just build the biggest tower with rolls of tape and sheets of paper or even blue jack and spaghetti or, or whatever, then it becomes more about there is a singular goal and it's just building the tower. But you're right. Everybody becomes super competitive and, and everybody, because I think of the time pressure as well, People jump in yep. and very, very quickly. And you're, I, I love the, I've never thought about it, but of course the best behavior that everybody's on at the beginning of, sort of a workshop day or a, this isn't how people behave when they formed their relationships inside teams. This is how they behave at the beginning of a new challenge, which is, is always a massive fear of sort of being exposed uh, and also trying to sort of second guess the purpose of the event. And so people are, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, this is about teamwork, so I've got to be a good team player, or this is about negotiation skills, so I've got to be really... And and you end up with these almost false personas that have to be stripped away before you can start to get back to real... uncovering real behaviours and real sort of... Uh, what, what what I love about game playing, and we, uh, we we have touched on it a couple of times, and I think we've we've been throwing around the idea of doing a an episode even more on games in general. What I love about it is all of those things are true. And, you know, imagine if you have a group of CEOs, they're all thinking, oh, well, I'm a CEO, I have to behave in a certain way. What's great about game playing is we almost can't stop ourselves forgetting what we wanted to do and we're caught up in the game. And yeah. so the people who say, ah, oh, well, I'm going to behave in a certain way, you watch them. And, and because I've only got 20 minutes, the brain switches into problem solving mode and stops being in, let's think about what we're trying to do. The other thing that I think is brilliant about this, and I, the thing about this game is that you, you could spend hours and hours piecing apart why it's so brilliant. The assumptions that people make, the reason why for, from one perspective, most people fail is they make a ton of assumptions. And while this is a silly 20 minute game, welcome to my world where we go into projects, we, we go into transformation activities and we make a bunch of assumptions and often or often those assumptions turn out not to be true, i.e. that the marshmallow weighs something or that mm. spaghetti isn't as strong as you think. And then it bites you on the backside. And by the time you've realized these things, you're in a little bit of trouble. By the way, I am just blatantly stealing from, from the TED Talk. So I don't want anyone to think I've done a huge amount of uh, my own personal research on this. But they they talk about who particularly does well in this? Every time I've run this, we've gone through these facts because I think it's a good way of getting people to step outside themselves and not give their excuses or whatever it might be. So here you go, Gareth, because you I don't think you've seen this. Which group of people consistently performs the best at this game? What is, is there a is there a set of choices here or no 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 I'm going to oh, give you okay. I'm going to give you groups of people and don't worry I'll give you some guidance here because if I give you some choices you'll <laughs> you'll, you'll pick the I'll, one that I'll seems most unlikely if you know what I mean come on who does well so imagine you're doing it with different groups of people you know yeah. ar architects uh, CEOs uh, business school people school kids whoever it might be who is it that performs the best let me guess it's not going to be the, the leaders, so executives and CEOs are not going to be at the top of that list. You uh, are correct. Because otherwise that wouldn't be an interesting fact. It would not uh, be interesting otherwise. I can almost guarantee that trainers, coaches and consultants will almost certainly not be at the top of that list. You uh, you are doing well with the, can I catch you out? Can I yeah. catch you out on this? Um, I'm going to say it is going to be interns, 
our new employees. So I thank you for not not getting the right answer first time. Otherwise, you destroy the whole structure of the conversation. So the 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 people who do best, unsurprisingly, are architects and engineers. Uh, okay. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah. They understand the principles of geometric shapes, of structure, of strength, and they can do all this. So they, uh, I think, they typically get around. 38 inches in height you know they've 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 done this so many times they've written it down so they 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 do the best but arguably they blooming well should this isn't a problem solving problem for them this is an yeah. engineering problem so we'll put them to one side for a second beside them the best people are kindergartners or kindergartners or however you say kin people in kindergarten it's kids it's young kids who haven't yeah. been told how they should solve problems and, and I, what, I wonder if that, that's more to do with the fact that children are more honest in how they behave with, with one another than it is about their understanding of engineering or preconceptions of the challenge. I think it's it's possibly more about the fact that children have less, less of this worry about trying to second guess what everybody else is thinking. I think there's the, that is a huge piece of it. The second piece is kids are experimenters. Kids yeah, just want to go true. out and poke sticks at things to see what happens. People, the kids want to play. And so the first thing kids do without anyone telling them is try to make a structure with a marshmallow on top. And they make the simplest two-inch structure and go, look, I've got a marshmallow. Hooray. You have already beaten 75% of people. But what they then do is they keep iterating. They go, well, that worked. I wonder if this yeah. will work. And so every time I've done this, all the people that felt quite smug now start to question themselves. Well, hang on a minute. It's a bunch yeah. of eight to 10 year olds that actually do really well. So the secret there is experimentation and iteration. And I think all the things you said are true. I think there is an element about a lack of self-consciousness. The definition of success perhaps for kids is to play the game. Oh, that's fascinating. And I, I guess if you think about, you know, what the role of children is, it is to develop, it is to learn, it is to play. They are naturally agile. I read a statistic this morning, actually, which said you know, the average four-year-old asks over 400 questions a day. They are constantly, as you say, testing, trialing, experimenting, playing. Let's Let's finish off on this. Because I think that's good. So at this point in the TED talk, the, there's a lot of giggling in the audience because they reveal how people did badly. So the average is about 20 inches of height that you can get. If you play this game, 20 inches is good. A uh, business school typically performs some of the worst. I love the idea. I think that that's partly a dig at people from business school, but partly it's this idea of their goal is to come up with, and this is mentioned a lot, the answer. And the whole point is, the kids do well because there isn't the answer. They figure out a bunch of answers and keep going until they get better. So a business school under 15 inches, lawyers slightly better. Kindergarten is 28 inches. As I said, architects and engineers, they're, they're even better. There's some, by the way, if you, I'll give you a website later. You can go and have a look at the pictures of some of these and they are quite magnificent. And then here's a last one, which is, I think, really interesting, which is CEOs. So CEOs, if you get a bunch of CEOs together, they have an average of about 20 inches. Yeah. And I, and I still don't know why. Maybe this is something for us to chat about for a second. If you put a PA or a couple of PAs in that group, it goes up to 30 inches. In other words, those CEOs need a facilitator. And I love oh. that idea that just putting a PA in the room changes the ability for those CEOs to be successful. I think this comes back to what we were talking about with Pia in the last podcast, which was the role of the coach mentor. And we were talking about the tendency for people in positions of power to have got there because of their projection of their own competence. So ego, a confident exterior sort of projection of who they are and I wonder if because we were talking about where and, and we did the same with Ian Pegg talking about chaplains didn't we the, yeah. the power that 
having a, a, a sounding board and a safe space to sort of talk about ideas to, to show uncertainty without showing that to the people that you're leading, whether that dynamic exists between CEOs and their PAs, they have I a relationship. Well, and I, I, I think there's another bit in there as well. I mean, we, we're guessing this a little bit. I'm sure there's a PhD thesis that someone's working on or has worked on this, which is um, the PA can ask questions in a way that other people can go. So I can imagine the PA going, is, is the marshmallow heavy? And they'll all go, oh, wait, we hadn't thought about that. Or the, the PA says, I, I think that's going to fall over, guys, in a way yeah. that, of course, CEOs... This, the whole purpose of the CEO is to come up with the in capitals plan. So I yeah. I thought that was fantastic. It, it, I, you know, you I think you can, this was done, I suspect, more slightly for entertainment factor, but it was interesting to, to pull this out. And of course, the key point was iteration wins, iteration wins, unless you're an architect or an engineer, in which case you bloody well better be able to build structures, geometric structures, otherwise you're bad. So here was one final twist that they they talk about. And again, I love this because I think these are the these are unspoken factors within problem solving and projects, which are nobody ever talks about. So we I mentioned the fact that it was 20 minutes and 20 yep. minutes changes the dynamic. People go, ah, 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 got to come up with a plan. Yeah. Here's another dynamic as well. So the guy on the TED Talk who's run this a bunch of times said, I wonder what would happen if I said to this particular group of people, I think he had 20 or 25 people, I wonder what would happen if I said to them, the winner, the person with the highest gets a $10,000 prize. So he did it. Can you guess in the spirit of building up for a punchline, what happened? when he put up a $10,000 price for the winning, for the winning height, the highest tower. Yeah, I'm thinking how I would change my behavior. And I think, I would like to think I would be far more cautious in my approach. But I think the reality is <laughs> the emotion would be a lot. It would be a lot more stressful. It would. And, and I also think you would be tempted to go for broke because you've got to win the, the I was going to say win I suspect far more towers collapse they all collapsed they all no collapsed. one won they all no collapsed and and it, and and again what a fabulous example where when the stakes were raised as you said I would like to think I would be more thoughtful you know iteration that's going to give me but the same voice in the back of your head screams, Chris, if you start with a two inch tower and then go for a four inch tower and then a 10 inch tower, someone's going to be busy building the best damn 40 inch tower we've ever seen. And yeah, so they yeah. all blew it. They all blew it. I, and I, I mean, again, everyone laughs in the TED talk. It's very funny. How many of us introduce these or not even introduce, but how many of us of these have these factors which change our behavior? Because statistically... 75% fail. And yeah. now you raise the stakes, you increase the rewards. I think that's a much better way of saying it. You increase the rewards dramatically. Now 100% fail. I thought that was beautiful. So look, I we've that's really interesting because you haven't changed the rules nope. at all. The time is the same. The materials are the same. The objective is the same. The rules are the same. And the only thing that's changed is exterior to the problem is the incentive and I, I think that really hones down this kind of we were talking about this with John Boyd weren't we the if you compare a uh, a Korean or a Soviet made fighter jet with an American made fighter jet you're comparing the machines if you compare the system that involves people it, it's a radically different equation because you're dealing with all of the complexity that that comes with and i think that's a really good example of that well i think i'm i might be overly generalizing here and and we are hopefully i'm going to persuade you that we should do one of these episodes which is i think you gave another example when we spoke to pia which is the the, the british military is very effective in its operational planning yes. with uncertainty with all these kinds of things and yet you you apply the same skills 
which you would notionally imagine were the same for things like procurement and demonstrably we're terrible at it. Well, hang on a minute. This is arguably the same game. Ah, well, it's not because actually the, 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 even though it feels like it's the same, there are other fundamental differences in the, in the sort of the atmosphere around you and the things that happen. So I, yes, the the lesson, the lesson there is it's not, if you think it's as simple as you've, as everyone else thinks it is, are you missing a trick? This goes back to some of the things we're curious. So anyway, just to, just to round it off, because I think we'll go to a break and then we'll talk about your game, because I, I don't know much about your game, so I'm just as interested to hear yours. Here were the, the, the lessons that I took away from this and the teams I work with. The first one is don't underestimate the shared experience. You know, everyone loves a bit of competition, a bit of drama, a bit of laughter, a bar of chocolate at the end. The share experience, we would have done it for that alone with our team in India. It was really, really great. And I, to this day, in fact, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I caught up with one of the guys that had been in the room. So these are friends for life. You're not always going to have that, but, but this was really great for us. You also start to build a common language. We haven't, we don't, we didn't really touch on that, but Every day I work with people, I can see we're using the same words that have different meanings because we don't we don't have a common understanding of those meanings. But all of a sudden, when I said to the team, iteration, we need to iterate because ending with nothing just doesn't work for us. They all understood that we have a common language, we have a shared experience. Obviously, the value of prototyping and iteration. Um, the next one as well, which we, we've kind of gently touched on but i really really think it's important which is if i'd have said everyone be in the auditorium at 11 o'clock because we're all going to learn a lesson 80 percent of the people are oh god what lesson is he going to tell us about today i'm not, you know, whatever i mean chris nice guy talks a bit too much oh, i don't know no we got people in a mindset to learn we got them to to drop their Guard is the wrong word. We got them in the right way to think about it. We made a situation where they weren't expecting to learn. And I think that is super, super powerful. Real hands-on experience. You know, you can't beat a bit of sticky tape and some marshmallows. They all got eaten at the end. That was good. And the last one was really fun. It was fun. We all enjoyed it. There weren't any losers. Even the guys whose towers collapsed, it was part of the, you know, they were celebrated and cheered. And for me, what made this so interesting that I wanted to talk about it today was nearly 15 years later, I can literally picture the room we did it in and I could picture the guys cheering. So when you do it right, it really, really works well. Now, um, if anyone says, okay, I want to play this game now, um, rather than have to go back and, and worry about uh, what did I say? And go back and look at that. Hopefully by now we've got some transcriptions up from these episodes. Actually, it's much easier. If you go to marshmallowchallenge.com, it's a website set up specifically for people who want to go do it. And it gives you simple instructions. You know, it gives you all the pointers. It gives you a little bit of a talk track. So if you want to go do it yourself, and I really hope someone who's listening to us or multiple people are say, I'm going to go do that. Friday well, afternoon, we'll get some beers in and go do it. Chris, we've been talking... Uh, for a while about getting these transcripts up and getting the Substack up and running. Let's commit to it now and let's put a link in the Substack. Excellent. We will definitely, definitely do that. So I'm going to ask you a question, actually, just before we, we go to a break. There's a bit of me that says, I can't imagine the military would play fun games like this. Do, do they? Do you go for away days or do you have team building days or do you have leadership days where people play these kinds of games? And I, I did obviously being briefly in the military, there's shark infested custard with ropes and barrels and planks. So they yep. do that, but it was never fun. <laughs> do, you, do you do these games, Gareth? Um, so I, I was, I was going to say, well, we do these sort of command tasks as we call them with yeah, yeah like okay, ropes and barrels and planks. And then, of course, there are also lots of written tasks, so similar to command tasks, but theoretical, and you discuss it. And um, we talked about war games and the fact that we play war games, none of which, up until recently, had ever been in the context of 
this is a bit of fun to break the ice to, you know, in the same way that you would perhaps on a, on a corporate away day. Until the last few years where I think there has been a, a recognition that there is lots to be learned from outside of the military and defence sector in terms of mentoring, coaching, team building. And I have now done several events with military audiences in completely non-military kind of context. Everybody's there in civilian clothing. It's all first name terms. It's facilitated by somebody who's gone away and done a corporate workshop facilitation course. They might even be brought in as a civilian. Um, and so, yes, there is more of this happening because we're recognising the value of you know, breaking out of those cultural yeah. restrictions of things like rank and uniform. And uh, so, yeah, there is, there is more of it. And, and the value of it is really coming through. That's so good to hear. And I, I want to, I think you've heard me say this in different ways quite a lot over the various episodes we've done, which is please do not think that this is all about just having fun and a giggle. I would like to think there is a backbone of steel that I want the most effective teams I can possibly have. And so we're, we're having fun for serious reasons. And so anyone yeah. who says here, oh, well, that doesn't, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be serious. And, or, well, my team wouldn't like that. Go do it. Go try yeah. it. Hey, in the spirit of the whole point of the game, go iterate on it. Let's take a break. And yeah. then we come back after the break. We'll talk about, the, the game that I run, which has a very different dynamic and is potentially focuses on some of the more negative characteristics that can create problems in teams. It is hopefully still a fun game to play. And then I think we can talk about the purpose of these games and how, as a facilitator, you might want to think about shaping the game or picking the right game around what you're trying to get out of, of the exercise. Excellent. We'll see you after the break. Welcome back. Well, we were talking about playing games, eating marshmallows and um, having fun for serious reasons. Uh, Gareth, I, I'm particularly interested in this because I've not played the game that you're going to talk about before. So run us through the game that you play. Actually, before we do that, and I'm the only one who can say this, I want to make the gentle point, by the way, that and uh, we don't do much advertising this podcast. Um, Gareth does do this for a living. So if any of these things seem interesting and you need someone to come and help you, please do get in touch with Gareth. Um, I have a full-time job, so um, unless you need some software built, I can't help you there. But Gareth certainly can. So these aren't just theoretical. There are people out there, whether it be Gareth and a couple of other guests we've had on. If you want to do these, give them a call and these guys can help you. Anyway, enough of that advert outside of the advert. Gareth, okay. tell us a bit more about your game. Well, thank you for that, Chris. What I do as a, as a living is perhaps different from a lot of game facilitation workshops that you might get. So whereas last week we spoke to Pia, she is a coach mentor trying to develop teams, very much focusing on behaviours. What I am very much focused on is how we make better decisions. And for those of the audience who've listened to the podcast in the past, you will know that I like to talk about the relationship between the process, the people, the technology. And we've talked a lot about how information drives strategy and decision-making or the lack of information. And what this game does is it really highlights the interplay between personal values and information so what we do is you split the audience up into groups of three and they're each going to play their own version of this game and each within that group of three you have a red player a blue player and a yellow player 
and they can decide amongst themselves which they want to be. But what's important is they decide before we then reveal what that means, because each player, by their colour, has a particular power over the other players. So is it so, is it three players or three teams? As in, can you do that? Do you have to have just have three people, or can you have three teams, as it were? So you can do it either way, and there are there are reasons you would do it as either as individuals or as teams. Typically, I would run it as individuals to, to start with, and then I would start to build teams of people to then play the game as groups. And I think that will become clearer as we, we understand what the game is. So you've got these three groups, red, blue, and yellow, and between them, they have to split up a collection of magic beans, points, coins, money, whatever we decide is going to be the the medium from which we're negotiating. And, and I try and do it reference to the audience. So quite often I'll use money as the, as the sort of goal if it's a corporate audience, because yeah, that is something people can relate to. And there is effectively on the table 242 amounts of money so let's say 242 pounds okay between the three players red blue and yellow they need to split that money up but there are four ways that money can be split there is a three-way split red blue yellow then there is the multiple or the three iterations of two players splitting and leaving one player out so blue and red red and yellow or blue and yellow. So this sounds like there's negotiation here that says that, that, that there are various outcomes and between the three teams, you need to decide which outcome you want. And I think what I heard you say was two teams could get together and say, forget the other team, we're going to decide the outcome. And there's various, it, or all three can come together and say, we agree together, this is yeah. the outcome we all want. Okay. Absolutely. And they get to decide how they split that amount of money up. But here's the here's the rub. If they split between red, blue and yellow, so all three, they can use all £242. If red and blue decide to leave yellow out, they have to leave £6 on the table and they can only split £236. If so red yellow decide to split they have to leave 68 pounds on the table and can only split 168 pounds between them if different teams come together there are different amounts of amounts. money that they can benefit from yes and okay. finally blue and yellow only can split 100 pounds between them now, okay there is no rule on how they split that it is just the amount that changes based on how they come together and what you do is you then give them five minutes to think about what they're going to do as individuals so they have five minutes on their own and then they have five minutes to come together and discuss what they're going to do and then make their decision so presumably the five minutes is to strategize what you want to do. Hey, I could convince everyone we should do it together and we split the money equally. Yes. Or actually I'm going to buddy up with this color and this person won't get anything, but it means we'll have more or this person. And actually we, we can't get as much, but we stop that person making that decision. It's that kind of game. You've got five Absolutely. minutes to do that. And then five minutes of actually having a chat. I, by the way, I'm, I'm, I think we're seeing a little bit of a trend here today. Is the five minutes seems pretty important in terms of giving people a sort of a sense of urgency or even not enough time to think through this? Is that is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about different people's approaches that I've seen. But effectively, five minutes is long enough if you sit down to work out mathematically where you sit in terms of your power over the other players and therefore what you should realistically be negotiating for. But most people don't 
sit down to start with and do the maths. They sit down and they look at the other players and then they start to come up with their strategies. And, and this is where as a facilitator, it's really interesting because you can wander around and talk to people during that five minutes and say, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? The five minutes to actually negotiate is never long enough. It's not a zero-sum game. There is tension. The decisions that one person makes will affect the decisions that the other two players want to make. And therefore, there is this cycle of discussion. And sometimes, very, very quickly, teams come to a, a solution. But more often than not, at the end of that five minutes, a decision hasn't been reached, in which case nobody gets any money. Oh, so there is, there are, well, I, 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 the, we're not trying to claim these are similar games in a sense, but I like the idea of there is jeopardy, whether that is, if you don't make a decision by the end of five minutes, nobody gets any money, including you, which is very similar to the, um, at the end of this, anything that's on yeah. the ground, you lose everything. That's kind of interesting. But interestingly, what happens is in the last 15 seconds of your game, people suddenly realise and put the marshmallow on and it collapses and then they're stuck and they have nowhere to go. Often in the last 10 seconds of this game, people suddenly change their position because they know they're about to get nothing. And so if we think about what we've got, the red player has significant power over the other players, just statistically speaking, because the red player... If they're not involved, if they're cut out, then there's only £100 on the table. So the red player is effectively worth £142. If the blue player is not in the game, then there is £168 on the table. So the blue player is effectively worth £74. That's the difference between the total amount, the 242 and the 168 that would be split between a red and yellow player. The yellow player is only worth £6 because the difference between all three splitting it is £242 versus red and blue, £236. And so there's this massive power disadvantage to the yellow player going into this negotiation. And so mathematically speaking, they should... Always lose. Happy. Well, they should be happy saying, I will accept £6 or less. Because if they come out of it with £6, then they've effectively used their statistical power. If they come out with more than £6, then they've done well. So in other words, let's just give an example. If they all come together and say, let's all split it equally, Yellow has had a fabulous day because that Absolutely. was statistically, yep. they've, they've got way more than they've got. Whereas if Red says, let's all split together, there are other much better outcomes for red, which arguably red might want to choose. So yeah. let, let's, let's, I just want to test something. So this could easily be seen as a statistical game, but statistics don't win. In fact, more often than not, you get a statistically unexpected outcome. In other words, someone does something that they hadn't expected to do or is not necessarily in their best advantage. Is that a good summary? Absolutely. And of course, we've, we've talked about the fact that people sort of go into these workshops or seminars with a slightly different persona, perhaps how they would behave in the normal everyday office environment. And so some people turn up on their best behaviour. Some people will turn up to win. Some people want to be seen by the rest of the group as quite hard nosed, quite aggressive. Some people will want to be seen by the rest of the group as uh, absolutely a collaborator and a team player. And so there's these psychological aspects. And then there is, of course, people's natural discomfort with creating tension or animosity. What's really interesting about this game is, of course, this is fictitious points. This isn't real. But people get very emotive very, very quickly about defending their position, defending their corner. Uh, and the aim, of course, is to come out with as much as possible. Especially when you start to run several rounds of this game and you can then start to add scores together over, over several rounds. So you run it same multiple rounds with the same people? You can do, yeah. And that what that creates is, is that the tension and the com competition grow, as does 
the animosity or the feeling of betrayal or the mutual respect that you've built through having previous rounds of negotiation. What quite often you see is patterns of behaviour start to emerge. People form coalitions, people form relationships, trust relationships. And then there's things you could do to, to sort of play tunes on this. So you can make one person the spokesman for the group and what they say at the end uh, as their negotiated position is what you do uh, and so what you can do is you give the spokesperson the opportunity to change their mind at the last minute and go against what the group decision was but of course the spokesperson will change next time and they will have undermined trust so there becomes lots of dynamics you can play with so how can... so th this one seems really it feels like there is a risk that you get an unexpected outcome that everyone walks away distrusting everyone and being unsatisfied because they all got stitched up. Yeah. How do you how do you facilitate this that people well actually maybe a better way of saying this what are the lessons that at the end of this you talk about with people and you get them to take away? Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're really right to highlight that because if this is badly facilitated, what you do is you you generate these around this completely fictitious game, real emotional animosities and real tensions. So you continually throughout the game have to keep it light, make it fun, make jokes about it. If you see a really toxic relationship either developing or reveal people bringing in real emotions. Yeah, yeah the room uh, you can mix the teams up or just stop the game and, and move on to something else because the last thing you want to do is bring out you know no one's learned anything but everybody hates each other yeah, that would be a terrible <laughs> that, outcome that would be an out that, not a great but, outcome not a great well but, thanks but actually, everyone see you next year <laughs> but actually as long as you and this is never a game to to run as your first game because of that you want to have those like your game, for example, where everybody's laughing, even Everyone's, though yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all the spaghetti towers have collapsed and everybody's quite happy with by that point with showing a bit of vulnerability, with showing that a complete failure at building a tower doesn't make you a bad person. You know, so all of that, uh, I'm definitely going to win. I need to show to everybody else that I'm, you know, I'm not going to be exposed. All of that's kind of already dealt with. And the lessons that come out of this are, firstly, emotion and psychological behaviour, prediction of other people's decisions, is just as important as the statistical data that you have. Yeah. The second thing is that prediction of behaviour is incredibly difficult. People are erratic, irrational. And thirdly, that in negotiation, in decisions around outcomes, you are balancing relationships with immediate gain. And so if you're going to play this game over and over again, and bear in mind, each time you play, you're going to be a different colour, the last thing you want to do is to create a situation where you're ostracised from the group because people don't trust you. And actually, what you find is the people that go in hard either very, very quickly learn that that is a surefire way to win one game and a surefire way to lose over multiple games. Because and everyone doesn't trust you from then on or everyone is... Yeah. You, you are the enemy they need to beat and so it is in our combined interest to beat that person. Even if that means I won't walk away with quite as much as I would have done. And so... What you see in groups is uh, people who go in very, very hard, more often than not, soften very, very quickly, or they get ostracised and then they regret what they've done. Quite often what you also then see is this forming collaboration where over time people recognise that if we're going to rotate through the colours, actually splitting it three, we three ways every go is quite useful because whatever position I'm in, over time, you know, I will always at some point be the weakest player, the yellow, or the strongest player, the red. 
And if we balance this out, we can all come away with yeah. doing very, very well. First of all, this idea of getting people to understand that people, personality, relationships, emotion, short-term versus long-term gain is it's an it's almost one of these hidden in influences to the outcome. We we talked about at the beginning where, you know, if we with the marshmallow game, if you make it 20 minutes without people noticing you've changed their behavior, if you offer them 10,000 pounds, change their behavior. This is another one of those. It, it's good to identify this. Do you go one step further to sort of draw broad conclusions? Because it, it, it feels there's a risk that you you could easily say any plan I come up with is is worthless because there's all these people that could have different reasons to support or not support this plan or different outcomes. They've got different motivations. So you you could draw this sort of slightly negative conclusion that there's it, it's all a bit of chance. Do you go one step further and say that is why building relationships are incredibly valuable because statistically, look, the people who have made relationships end up with a better outcome. Or how do you turn that into something positive they can take away with them? Well, there's two things. One is exactly that, that relationships, building trust is a huge part of solving complex problems. So this is a complex problem because Although you've got hard data, you've also got the uncertainty of people's behavior. And so if you collaborate over several rounds, you will, no matter what starting color you are, you will know that over five or six rounds, you can all come out of this having a reasonable score. If you don't and you form negative relationships or you try and undercut people, you can absolutely dominate one game where you're a red player uh but chances are over several rounds you're going to do significantly worse than you would if you collaborated so there's a really positive message there the other thing that i think is more important especially with what i'm trying to do when i facilitate these sessions is to talk about the difference between tactics and strategy we talked about this before tactics is about using your capabilities in the here and now to achieve a task one round is a tactical round. So your approach, you might have a strategic approach to how you're going to do a negotiation, but the decision you make about what you're willing to accept in that negotiation is one tactical bound. Over five, six, seven, eight rounds, the strategic outcome is the total that you score. And so recognizing that you're not trying to win this game you're trying to get the best score over a series of games is the difference between tactics and strategy. And those teams that learn to collaborate will end up, all three players will have a higher score than those teams that have formed negative relationships and have cut their nose off to spite the fate, their space in order to cut somebody else out or to get revenge or because they formed a clique and they don't trust somebody. And so what you can do is highlight this point and so it brings out this point about relationships and it brings out the point about strategy. What it also does is it also highlights the point that fairness is not an objective in itself. So being fair, some people go into this, into these games without, you know, I don't want to upset anybody. I want to, this is not about fairness. If you are the yellow player, you have a weaker position. And so it's not about fairness, it is rational to accept a lower, a lower amount. What's important about this is fairness is based on trust, is based on a relationship that has an, that will achieve a mutual outcome. And so those kind of lessons get drawn out, and then we can have some really, really good discussion about different approaches people took. And then what I tend to do is then talk about the fact that there are people who, the Gordon Geckos of the world, who see the world as a zero-sum game, and or the, the Donald Trump, the art of the deal. You know, I only win if somebody else loses. Actually, over the long run, they tend to lose. They tend to 
shower relationships. They tend to close, burn bridges and close off opportunities. And Those potentially go to jail, although that might be a slight generalization, maybe talking more <laughs> about Donald Trump. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. think what I what I love about it, so I, I've not come across this game before we started talking about it, but it is this classic idea of a surprisingly simple concept. And obviously you've got to write the rules down, but surprisingly simple concept, which again is another excuse to talk about some very sophisticated and deep-seated challenges that aren't as simple as you should do the right thing or you know the best profit is always the good way out i i thought i thought as you talked about the difference between strategy and tactics i i do you've heard me say this before get a bit shifty because these things feel a bit slippery at times that was just such a brilliant example one round is tactics five rounds is strategy what am yeah. I going to do over five rounds? And that will have an impact on my tactics and will lead to different outcomes. Whereas one round is I need to win the most money this round. It's the last round. I'm going to kill everyone kind of thing. I, I think that's that's pretty Yeah, yeah. And you, you see some fascinating behavior. So you see, uh, I've done this four or five times now. And there's always one group that forms very, very early, forms a really good relationship. And then in the last round, the red player takes it all or takes as much as they can because they know it's the last round. And if they burn all those relationships, they've got nothing to lose, which I think is fascinating. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. It's certainly the right thing to do in terms of winning the game, but it creates an interesting thing to discuss and talk about. And, and so what you tend to do is play this for 45 minutes or so, have a coffee break. Everybody talks excitedly about what they yeah. did and didn't do. And then come back in and have another 45 minute session where we talk about why we did things the way we did, what we've learned, what would we do differently if we approached it, and then bring in some real life negotiation uh, examples or business relationship examples to then start to talk about how you can apply these ideas and lessons to the real world. It feels like this is one, as we said at the beginning, you, you you know, anyone can run the marshmallow game. There's almost, you know, it's difficult to end that one poorly. This one, it does feel like you need to know what you're doing as a facilitator to make sure things don't go south. Another, another question to ask, though, is who do you find this works best with? How, how have you used this with businesses? Because, again, marshmallow game, play with anyone. It's it's a, such a generic concept and valuable concept that you can apply to everyone anyone can do it this one feels a bit more specific a software developer you know maybe there's not as much value of playing this so who do you typically play this one with so i i disagree with you absolutely i think this has value for everybody in an organization because the lessons are generic this, these aren't lessons for leaders these aren't lessons for sales people these are lessons for people to understand that they are part of a team that strategy is different from tactics etc cetera, etc cetera. but and it's very difficult for me to to draw conclusions because i've only run this five times and i've been in the game once uh, and so i i don't have you know concrete statistics yeah, about yeah. plays better but anecdotally the people that go in thinking they're going to do well are the senior leaders, the executives, and the sales team. Sales and marketing always think they're going to do really well. And I think that comes down to the way that we recruit certain types of people and also the way that we tell certain types of people what success is. So sales are tend to be quite aggressive in their approach to this game. And men tend to be more aggressive than women younger people tend to be more aggressive than older people these are generalizations of course and there are you know i've seen older aggressive women but as a generalization men tend to be more aggressive sales tend to be more aggressive and uh, younger people tend to be more aggressive but interestingly the people that go in competitively wanting to win also tend to work hard at recognizing what the best strategies are and therefore change their minds quickly the people who are in leadership positions senior leaders often go in quite aggressive and don't change their minds they double down and that's an interesting dynamic that we can explore as well and again 
how you facilitate this is quite important because the last thing you want to do is undermine yeah, you know, yeah you, you, you don't want and by the way everyone can see the ceo dug in he's a bully. didn't change his mind <laughs> he's a bully well yeah. it's i think so we i think we're coming to the the top of the hour of this one i hope a couple of things that is so again i hope this has opened your eyes both to the value of some of these games i hope this has actually stimulated some of you to go learn more about this either to run a game like the marshmallow game yourself or find a facilitator who can run this but it is also the fact that these games are far more nuanced and valuable than you might initially imagine i really get nervous that people go well games are for fun and we're not here for fun these are some really, really important concepts that we often don't think about, but have a really big impact on what we do. I mean, as you were talking about the different people that you work with, I was thinking, is this something that I might might want to run within my organization right now, particularly in those cross-functional relationships, how we understand each other a bit better, how we yeah. talk about how us winning is more important than me winning or you winning so uh, some really really good stuff all right well look let's let's call it for now on this although i bet we'll come back to this in different ways thank you for joining us as ever as we say every week there is a large back catalog if you haven't listened to uh, the rest of the podcast please do go back and have a listen but more generally, please share with all your friends and colleagues. If this is something that you think will be useful, we're on a real push to keep building the, the listenership, keep building a community of people who think these ideas are important. Well, that is enough for today. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you for the game. And um, we'll see you next time. All right. Wonderful. Thanks very much. Cheerio.